Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for coming out today on this beautiful sunny day during Toronto Fashion Week. We're live, yay! A silent live audience, okay. never once before today. There we are. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm Donna Bishop. I'm the host of Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. And I am thrilled today to have Kimberly Newport Mimran with us. Kim, we're going to talk about so much about your, your journey and the exciting new news. If people were at the show last night with your new line, it's fabulous. And we're going to talk about that. Thank you. But first, let's start at the very beginning. Where were you born and, and what was your family like growing up? Okay, I was born in Niagara Falls. I'm fifth generation Canadian, so I have a long history. They settled. Um, I grew up in a suburban town. I had a very nice childhood, no big traumas. Um, yeah, and I, and I loved fashion from a very early age. In your blood from the beginning. Yeah, just loved it. Was it something that you enjoyed um, kind of playing with even as, as a young girl, like experimenting with playing dress up or? Absolutely. I loved clothes. I don't, I was just, it's like I love food, I love clothes, I love art, but I really loved the art of getting dressed. I probably made a few mistakes in my life, especially 16, 17. I thought it was super fashionable. I think I kind of pulled it back. But it, it, it's just, you know, I worked in retail. I loved fabrics. I loved working on clothes. And I loved styling people. How would you describe what you love about clothes? Like, is it how the actual textiles feel on your body? Is it something kind of internal that happens? Well, I think your clothes are your armor to the world. And I think that it's part of your personal style. And it's part of just getting out to face the world every day. And I just always loved the idea of when I saw something that really resonated with me, whether it was in a movie, and I didn't have a lot of exposure to fashion as a young girl. My grandmother was impeccable, but that was my only point of reference. Um, but it, it, it's just, you know, fabrics are very important because they, they live on your body. So they're an extension of you. So I think that's where it all started. And even as a teenager, I mean, we, we all had fashion crimes in those tender ages. Crimes. <laughs> do, you, do you recall a certain style that you were like, oh, this is where I feel best, or a particular outfit that you envision that, that, that version of yourself in? I have to say that I think film really plays a part in when you resonate with a film. And I was always enamored with Al Alfred Hitchcock. I thought that the girls were so impeccably dressed. I wanted to be that girl. Um, maybe not Marnie, but yeah. there's a few of them <laughs> I would have liked to be. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I always thought that Audrey Hepburn was just the epitome of a fashion icon. It's funny you say that because there was a dress in your collection last night that I thought was so breakfast at Tiffany's yeah. with the, I know. Yeah. I digress. The, 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 the references are there, <laughs> for sure. And so you, you're enjoying fashion. You're in Niagara Falls. What did you do when you were finished high school? Did you go to a management program, to a design yeah. program? Yeah, so I went to fashion school, much to everyone in my family's dismay, because I came from a family of teachers and dentists and uh, scholars. And it, it was fashion. Sensible, was, sensible yeah, professions. Like, Kim, what are you doing? So I came to Toronto, and I took a fashion merchandising and management program, which was at George Brown. 
And it was really interesting because it opened my eyes to, it's like every industry. Fashion is actually not what it seems. And there's so, it's so complex that it's, it, there, you really need to study it. What are the complexities that, that kind of resonated with you at the time? Well, fabric technology, mm -hmm. merchandising. Do you know, everything is numbers. It's really, really interesting because every pattern that I make, it's all about math. So it's a, it's a really interesting, it was an eye opener because it was just like, I love style, I love fashion, this is so great, I'll pick that, it'll be great. It's not really about that. The numbers all have to work. And the numbers have to work from a gross margin standpoint. They have to work from a pattern measurement standpoint. It has to work from a grading standpoint. If we grade something and we're one quarter of an inch off, those clothes don't fit. It's so interesting. It's so, there's such a precision that tends to get glossed over, I guess. Yes, because you love the, it, it, it's the exciting kind of like runway part that kind of takes over sometimes. But it, it, it's, it's truly to be a great fashion designer, you have to really understand, you know, the, the technical aspect. When did you start working in retail? I smacked my lips on live TV. <laughs> Didn't swear, but smacked my lips. Um, it, it, I would say I, I started in retail when I was 14. So it's been in your blood yeah. from an early age. And I started in menswear. Like my career started in menswear, but I started selling men's ties when I was 14 years old. What was that like for you? I, I thought it was just the topper to everything. So they put me in the tie department and I had good sales. I, I really would try and thoughtfully pick something that would go with the perfect suit, and that was my department when I was like just a kid. I think uh, dads and husbands across the Niagara region probably thank you very much for the advice that you were giving <laughs> on Robinson's the Father's Days and Birthdays. department store. It was funny, yes. You're bringing me back. And retail stayed in your blood after your, your post-secondary school Yes, well. Yeah, well, and I went into buying, so, you know, that was a really interesting, I, I, I loved design, and, you know, at the time, when I was picking a career, I, th there wasn't a lot of Canadian designers, the only one that I'd ever heard of at the time was Alfred Song, so I thought, you know, it's like kind of being an actor, it's, it, it, you know, I don't want to pick a, a, a a career that the odds are so against me. So I decided to go into sort of buying, because I, and, 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 and I have that karate kid story that I tell. So Mr. Miyagi is like, wax on, wax off. Love that movie when I was a kid. Wax on, mm -hmm. wax off. So what I didn't realize is that my first job was an allocator and a buying, buyer in training. And what I had to do is allocation plans all day long. It was the most boring job ever. What I didn't realize at the time when I was bored, did a good job, got promoted, but I was, just didn't have the passion for it, is that I really learned on how math affects a retail business. Can you share a little bit more about that? Because I think well, that is something that we still see like from your Mr. Miyagi moment through present day. And we'll talk yeah. a little bit more about that and the hyper-competitiveness that is the fashion industry. So there's the assortment. It's putting an assortment together. It's having a timeline on the floor so that you get your turns, so that you get your sales. 
It's your gross margin dollars, because once you take a markdown, you start to lose gross margin. So I really learned that not knowing what I was learning, because I was doing it, and I was an assistant doing it. And the part that I wanted to do was, oh, I want to go to the showrooms and pick the clothes. But I had to do that first. Once you did that, you sort of got the foundation and the fundamentals started, which is the wax on, wax off story. And you sort of build into, okay, this is, when it works, it works. And when it doesn't, it doesn't. And you have to address it when it doesn't. And you, what works, hopefully, you get wisdom from that part of it. And you started at, at the Bay. Yeah, my first job, HBC. And when did you transition from the Bay to something else? So I was recruited into product development. So that was a whole different aspect of buying. But one of the buyers that I worked with that needed an assistant in the product development side in that category recruited me over. And that's where I found my happy place. I, I love product. I love making it. I love working on it. So it really opened opened my perspective on. Is there a difference between product development and designing? Absolutely. How would you parse that out? Okay, so product development is how do I get it made? And designing is what do I do to create this idea? And I have to say that a lot of great designers aren't good product developers and a lot of good product developers aren't great designers. It, 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 they're two different strategies to get to the end result. And was Club Monaco one of your next kind so of important moves? So that was a design-driven company. Yeah. Um, I started in accessories. I was a specialist in denim. And then I went into menswear. So I did all men's tailoring. So I really learned how to build a garment. And I have to say, in menswear... You just, you know, it doesn't give you the latitude to sort of be uberly creative because it's really about the technical finish. Um, to make a great blazer, it's very technical. What fusing you put into it makes a difference, how you cut it, the lapels, but it, it doesn't like, in women's wear, it's a little, you know, it's a little easier because a good tailored garment is, is just, it, it, there's fundamentals to it. This is such a thread and a theme that I've heard several times talking with, with some designers who talk about the, the challenge of the precision of menswear and just really locking into that, like there's no room for error really, like it's not as forgiving. Were you, was that part of the challenge that you loved? Well, I loved it because it really, it really taught me how fabrics react and how to build a garment perfectly. And that's what I loved about Alexander McQueen. Alexander McQueen was a master tailor, but he was so, he was a genius that he could deconstruct it in such an interesting way that it resonated in the, in, in the world. So I, I, you know, there's just something so interesting about being great at something. And then the creativity is just the additional sort of juju that makes it work. It must have been, hearing you talk about your, your excitement around product development, having Club Monaco is transition the right, right word or grow into Caban yes. must have been just like your happy place. 
Absolutely. So I worked as a product developer. I was never a designer. Uh, worked with the men's team. So I really got, you know, uh, the fundamentals of fashion. Caban came along, and it was more lifestyle. And, you know, I... I Actually, I can you explain the, about Caban, just so, for, for listeners who aren't familiar so with Caban, what that wonderful Caban brand was? Caban was a concept which started from Club Monaco every day. And every day was like, how do we bring great taste every day? And, you know, there's a few businesses that done it, has done a very good job at it. Um, and it was just the perfect white plate. Like, you, we, we, we put things on a placemat. It was like a chic placemat. Uh, so it, it was really this lifestyle concept that my husband is so brilliant at. I remember it being yeah. one of the, like, I remember the, the store down on Queen West and it just being this bounty of throws and things vases and things that, you know, as someone who is setting up my own kind of home and had just, you know, graduated and was doing all of that at the time, it was such a, a new world for how to create my own space. Yeah, and, 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 and there was definitely um, a message in it, and it was... It was quality, and it was a little understated, and yeah, so it was a, it was a really fun, interesting project to work on. And with that, um, we had, we opened a big cabana store on Queen Street. Now, Club Monaco was down the street, so we didn't want to double park all the soft goods. So I was lucky enough to have the opportunity, because I was a developer, to put capsules together. So I, I, I would design things to go into the store, and they would sell. And that's really a great reward to, to say, okay, like people are voting for this. Yeah, that's the goal of retail. That's like. the goal of retail. <laughs> and what was it like when I, when I kind of look back at that time for you and look at the time we're in now, it must have been, do you reference those, those days in terms of you know, product development and there being two channels and how do you not cannibalize what was in Club Monaco and Caban? Yeah, no, I think that it, there, it's, it's a growth, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think when you go through different career changes and you work on different product or you work in different categories, it's, it's a growth pro it's a process that happens. And from there, somewhere along that way, you founded Pink Tartan. Where, where, did, where did things go from, from your time as a product developer at Caban to founding your own fashion label? So with Caban, I got my first little sort of taste of doing design myself uh, that I could execute. So I was a product developer that could execute design, which was really fun for me. It, it's where, you know, it's when you do something that just feels right. Um, so when, so Joe exited Club Monaco, sold it, Caban was no longer, and I was married, I had a baby girl, and was, had a, a, a mat leave. We kept talking about, okay, well, maybe we'll go into the luxury men's business. Like, I, I love to work, and I'm, I, I truly love to work, and I love to make things. So had a little bit of time off. I had a premature daughter, and she's like really needy for a little bit. And when she got to be about a year, I was like, okay, I, I need to get back to work. Mm. Was going to do a menswear line, and we called it Tartan. So everything we referenced when we were noodling the whole idea was about Tartan. And uh, I, I assumed I would do men's because that's where, where I cut my teeth. I just woke up one morning, I decided I'm gonna make women's clothes, and I'm gonna call it P. 
pink tartan, because that was the reference for it. Um, it was my favorite color. I had just had this baby girl. Pink was like all around me, and I, pink tartan was born. What was your first collection like? Do you remember what your first pieces were? Oh my goodness, I, ha I have pieces from the first collection that are down in the basement that are like, so I, I actually made the first collection in Italy, so it was all made in Italy. I had these beautiful sort of just hand-stitched leather jackets. It was, it was, it was very expensive and it, 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 the, it, it was hard to market the price point in Canada. So I sort of moved to Canadian production and had a big win with how beautifully we made shirts here in Canada. So it's still a signature of my pink tartan collection. And it's something that I think is such a classic wearable. If you, like, it sounds like you were designing for yourself in many ways. Absolutely. Like a yeah. busy young mom on the go who has stuff to do. I mean, it sounds sort of cliche, but when you are your customer, I am. then it kind of flows. It does. And, and you can wear test it. You know it works, you know it doesn't work. Um, and I'm extremely passionate about how fabrics react on your body. So it's just like picking the right fabrics, giving it a great cut, making it modern, and you know, I was able to, to build a brand. Did the brand start with a bricks and mortar location or no. did you use a wholesale to retail I was 100% wholesale for the first 10 years. So it was 100% wholesale for the first 10 years of Pink Tartan. What did that teach you about your brand that helped you continue to evolve and develop? Well, because of my experience with having to build an assortment plan and seeing sales, it was building assortments that would work in that format. So I had a little bit of an edge because I had been on the other side of it. So I could now design and make products so that I could see could, and understood, understood what the business of making product and having it sell and the turns and how deep you go in, because you can make a mistake so easily. I mean, it, it happens, like you, you never have the right 100% mixture. It's like something sells too fast, something sells too slow, you have no sizes in this, these four sizes, you have a million in these. So it, it, it's really about just kind of trying to have a crystal ball to understand that all. And what made you decide to open your own bricks and mortar location? Okay, so I loved Caban so much. I loved putting a lifestyle assortment together. Now, Pink Tartan was in wholesale department stores and it got edited down. So I'd start with 200 pieces and the collection was like amazing. So when you go to market, it gets edited down and you get bought. Like, so my 200 piece amazing collection ended up being 50 pieces. I always felt there was something missing. And you can't cut product. You can't cut one of things that doesn't, that unless you're doing couture or you're making special. Um, that there was always something missing. So I wanted to bring in other brands and be multi-branded so that I could show how pink tartan would shine with the assortment around it. So I bring in beautiful vintage. I would buy collections and I would buy contemporary and I would mix them all together to put what I felt was the lifestyle concept. And how, what was the response like to that? Really amazing. You know, I've been, I've been so fortunate in my career that I, I've been able to resonate. There's a, and and, and the, the true best feeling I get is when somebody comes up to me and says, you know, I love your clothes. 
I had a woman that I did a trunk show with. She wore a suit. Now, I can remember when every suit was made because I make them. <laughs> and it was probably from my first or second collection, which would be dated. It was about 14 years old. The suit needed to be retired after 14 years, but it was her favorite suit, and I was so thrilled that she actually wore the suit to the event to show me how much she loved the product I made. That must just kind of fill you up if you're ever kind of like having the wind taken out of your sails as this crazy this business? business is one sure. to do. Having that kind of connection with your client must be so gratifying. It, well, it's so wonderful when a piece or a design becomes part of someone's style. And I'm always about, you know, style with substance, that great style never goes out of fashion, and that's sort of how I've built the brands that I've developed. Well, and I love that you said Branza, because that's Branza. something you've touched on a couple of times, but last night was the launch of your latest brand, Kimberly Newport. How, and the show was beautiful, thank by you, the way. Thank you, thank you. Um, how do you define that brand from Pink Tartan? So I feel lifestyle is very important. We have all aspects of our life that we live. So whether it's what do we do when we walk the dog? What do we do when we come home from work and we need to cook something? What do we do when we have to sit in a board meeting or we have an important lunch or we have an interview or we want to impress somebody? And then what do we wear when you have to go to a gala? Like, what do I wear when I have something really special that I want to feel really good and I want to walk in? And again, I go back to, it's your armor that you're going into that room with. Mm. So I did a, 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 a very beautiful, and it's very Canadian couture. I'm making it with a beautiful house that every single stitch and detail matters. Um, so that's what I launched last night. Is keeping a, a bit of a Canadian, I almost said a Canadian thread, and that would be too like on point, but like a Canadian story behind what you do, is that something well, you think about a little bit? I think it's just part of my DNA. Mm -hmm. It's like just who I am and what I do. Um, I, I think it's the beauty of making clothes in Canada, which is challenging and hard. Mm -hmm. we, we, it, it is a challenge, um, is that it's here beside me. So versus sending something off and visiting it, you can kind of nurture it really closely. How do you keep track? We, you were just talking about how everything is math. And, and we've just had this wonderful conversation about like the designing and, and yeah. the clothing. How are you keeping on top of, because I know you're quite involved in all the aspects of, of your business. Are you still watching the math? Are you, you have to. I, I have to. I don't have, a, I don't have the luxury of a big enough team mm -hmm. that I have different segments that can kind of feed back that to me. So you have to look at your fabric costs, you have to look at your consumptions, I have to look at what the cut size is, I have to look at how I'm pricing it, I have to look at, you know, making sure that the bust is a certain, like, measurement, that the waist and the bust are okay, the high point shoulder measurement. So math is so important and it, it, it makes everything work. Are there metrics that you prioritize and look at every single day? Sales. Without, without sales, you have no metrics. So it's all about every day. And you know, I have a beautiful store that we can actually see right there. You have, it's square, sales per square foot. You have to make the math work or you don't have a store and you don't have a collection. 
And you've seen, I mean, retail has changed so much, like oh. from last week to last year to 10 years ago. You, you know, you've seen the launch of e-commerce are you, and, and weaving all of these, you know, Insta, you were pre-Instagram, but yet had like wonderful moments of celebrities, you know, choosing to wear your designs. Are those things still important, those celebrity moments? I know I kind of mixed a whole bunch of questions yeah, in no, there no, together. No, 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 they but, are. Mm. Uh, but do you know what? It, what's important is what resonates. It's not actually who wears it. It's if it resonates with someone. And I think that the whole idea of just finding your audience that you resonate with is super important to make a business work. Do you have a moment where you kind of had that like tingly feeling where you're like, yeah. it's happening, there well, it is? Well, I've had a few, because I'm a veteran now, mm -hmm. but I have to say that there's a difference between paying for an ad and having a great editor pick it up and shoot it. That's where the authenticity comes from. And when my sweater at the time showed up in Vogue, someone picked it. It had nothing to do with the connection. It was framed for me and is one of like one of the true highlights of my career. And how does that, how do you kind of make sense of that in our digital age where Instagram has become such a platform for the fashion world? Well, I think that, you know, it's, it's evolution. So it's really about how things evolve. And I, I don't think anybody's figured it out because it goes so fast. And the whole digital community has allowed every single person, it's a, it, every, everybody can sell something. And everybody does sell something. Where you used to have to, if you needed something, you had to go somewhere to get it. Now everything comes to you. So it's, it's, it's just so interesting that I, 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 I definitely haven't figured that side of it out, but I think that the more and more authentically you speak to your customer, and if it resonates, that's where the payback comes. And do you consider speaking to your customer any time you have that touch, be it an e-newsletter, the website coming into retail? Well, do you know what? It's a monster and it's a beast. It's very yeah. hard. To, so I actually create clothes. It's very hard for me to do all the marketing side of it as well. So I find that I'm probably a better person at making things and marketing it. It needs, I need to reassess that because it has to be, it, they, they, they both matter. And I see some brands that, you know what, they market so well and they're so successful, but the product isn't great. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just that trade-off. I think it'll, it'll balance out as we get catch up to it, but it does really, really move fast. So sometimes you're believing you, something is good for you and you love it, but is it really? Like, I know, we can yeah. get drunk on our own Kool-Aid a little yeah, bit and then I, realize I no. <laughs> I want to get back to, you know, the role fashion plays in your, in your life because you talked about it being armor and, and what it meant to you when you were younger. What's your relationship with fashion like now? Well, I've never lost the love for the art of getting dressed. Um, I, I, I do think it matters how you present yourself. I mean, if you look at psychology in seven seconds, somebody measures you up. So I always want, I feel when people feel confident in their clothes and you make clothes that make women feel confident, that they feel better. So I think there is an attachment to how we live our lives, how we feel, and that's how we look and how we present ourselves. 
I think that is the main reason fashion matters. It does. Is it can be that tool for for confidence, empowerment, and and expression. Absolutely. Like you can see, I love the '60s because there was such a movement in the '60s that it still resonates with me. I was a baby in the '60s, thank goodness. Um, but it, you know, it it, it it was part of our culture. Like it, we don't always notice it until after the fact, but fashion plays a role in our culture. Are there key moments, like just to to build on that a little bit, where you resonate with what what fashion and culture were doing simultaneously at that time? Well, I think that, um, yeah, for instance, the sneaker. The sneaker is the biggest trend across the board. It's wiped out so many shoe stores. It won't always be there, but the sneaker is the moment. And I love a sneaker. Who doesn't Who love doesn't a sneaker? Love I'm a surprised I didn't wear one today. <laughs> but I do think that the, that, that, the, that whole idea, I think tech has really influenced fashion. I think it got, tech is a little bit anti-fashion. And which is, it, it's just what we're living with. It, and you know what, it's, it's made work more casual. Um, it, it's just interesting. You know, these tech guys are all, they, they wear a polo and a chino. It looks great, but it's a moment. And it has disrupted how people get dressed for the office. So it disrupted my, my, my workwear business. Well, what I think when our professional lives became more private, it allowed us to be more casual in how we dress. are we more private? I think we're more out there than I know. ever. I think when <laughs> yeah. we're thinking of like the tech industry and sitting at computers, we weren't, you know, in boardrooms and out. Like there was this kind of insular way of interacting with our colleagues. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that made Text certain things. Text and email has changed everything. Changed everything. And I was speaking with, um, with Ron White, Ron White recently. And we were talking about the impact sex in the city had on the shoe industry. Yes. And I think it's so interesting how that has turned completely on its head. And now the sneaker is, is the shoe du jour. Do you see that happen with clothing? Can you see that sort of parallel in well, apparel? I, I, yeah, I, I, you do. I mean, where you used to really wear a suit, men would wear suits. I think probably men's wear more than women's wear because women have a little bit more leeway in what they wear. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, it went from a suit culture to a, like, polo culture and a sneaker culture. So, Which I think is so interesting in terms of how that impacts how people carry themselves in the workplace. Yeah. Well, and look at all of our trends. If you go through, you know, there was a moment of minimal, minimal, minimalism, and it was like really Jill Sander was very important. There was like these designers that were really hot. And then we just come off like the Gucci explosion where more is more is more is more. And, it's, and it kind of actually looks like the most amazing vintage store and everything's hype beast logoed. So it, it moves, like, you know, it, it, and it will continue to move, but we do have cycles in fashion. And I think those cycles are sometimes in response in a, like, I'll say in a positive way, like it's reflecting yeah. something wonderful that's happening Moving in the world. Moving forward is always positive. Or, or it is reacting, like I think of the rise in like dystopian films and television that mm -hmm. is happening right now as a reaction to some of the wacky things that are happening in our world politically, and we see fashion balancing both of those. Absolutely. Well, it, it, it's, it, it, it kind of is the visual to it. So I always think like, if you think of fashion, fashion is the visual to whatever is happening in our culture and society. 
I want to pivot just for a second, then we'll open it up to, to questions from the audience. Is, you know, you mentioned you were a mom. I'm a mom. What and other a stepmom. And, and a grandmom. Oh my goodness, <laughs> all the moms, all the variations of motherhood. Yeah, I'm um, all those. How do you find talking about fashion with the, with the younger people in your life? Um, well, I definitely have a, 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 a style that I'm set into that is part of who I am. Um, I, I think it's interesting because you know what, my my stepson is is fabulously in tech, and my stepdaughter is in fashion, and my daughter is just going off to art school. So it, it like I have all these people, and 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 fashion matters to all of them in a different way. That must be so fascinating to see how that manifests itself in all their various ways of life. Yes. Okay, I'm gonna open it up to okay. questions from the audience. Do we, does anyone have a question for Kim? Awesome. Hi Kim, my name Hi. is Shay. I have a kids clothing brand made in Canada. And my question to you is, do you ever get close to not having so many mistakes? Like, do you get close to a perfect season? Is there any <laughs> tips you can give us? Okay, I have some of my to, team to, here. Other than drinking wine, yeah. to stay above water. We, we do have a hashtag <laughs> called Mad Kim. Okay. And Mad Kim happens because you watch it and it could be in any little step of the process. So, you have a pattern, you have a cutter, you have a sewer, and somewhere inevitably, you have a grader, somewhere inevitably somebody makes a mathematical error and I go back to it and it's like, my mathematical errors are at my outlet and I still can't get rid of them. So it's like, you know, they, they actually really, you, they're in your face, they just don't go away. But it, 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 it never goes away. You just, the more on top of it and learning to, to mitigate those mistakes is where you can really help, yeah. And not dwelling on those mistakes no, as no, well, I No, no, learn from them. Right? Please do not do the same one multiple times or you're in trouble. I think Kim knows what my question is gonna be already. I don't know. Okay, okay. Any, anyway, I, um, you know that I work in the world of size inclusivity and diversity. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've had the pleasure of going to six shows, unfortunately, we didn't get to yours. We'll be on the list for next year. And I saw Justin, one designer, was the only, Hillary McMillan, mm -hmm. yeah. who actually put a curve model on a runway. And I was looking at the audience in all of these shows, and I would say that 60%, 65% of women in that couldn't wear any of the items and with regard to the models. Now, I'd like to know what you think about that with such a different demographic that is not being addressed. So I, I, I do have a point of view on that. I, I love democratic fashion. Um, I love inclusivity. Uh, I, I actually show bigger sizes. I, I work with TSC and I, and I actually go and put, we have diverse models, we have diverse sizes. 
the one thing I go back to math is that the grade can only go up a certain way until you absolutely change your business. So if you wanna do plus size, you have to commit to the plus size business, you have to understand that grade, and you change from a zero to 14 that you have to actually move to more of a 14 to, I, I'm not sure what the number goes up to, but it's, a, it's, 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 it's 26, it, it's a completely different business. So it's hard enough for me to do one, to do two is, 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 is just another challenge. So you have to commit to the business you're in. I started in the zero to 14 range and I can go up to a 16, but the grade change rule, change, the rules change after that. So it's just really committing to it. But we, we fit women of all shapes and sizes and, and you know what, it, it, it's really, I think that's important. I have a lot of plus size customers it, but they can only go in within the range of what the math lets me do. Oh, another question. It's true. Hi, Kim. My name Hi. is Daryl, and Dan. I work for Bico Jewelry, who is a Canadian jewelry designer right here. And I just want to say uh, one of my first retail jobs was at Pink Tartan, and I oh, learned amazing. so much from you and Aww. your team. So I still have that passion um, and for the industry. So with your multifaceted experience uh, growing multiple brands, what would you say in today's time is an important catalyst for a brand that's growing uh, to take themselves to the next level? Well, I think the most important thing is just you know, with every, what I find is interesting about now, which I absolutely love, is do what you do the best well and focus in on that. Don't try and do too many things. Um, and you know, when we were selling department stores, I had to have a lot of different styles for different customers. I find I've really pulled back from that. I do what I do well and I do less of it better. And I think that's good advice for anybody who's starting in the business. Oh, we have two more. Hi, Kim. Hi. I was just wondering, as a female entrepreneur, what advice you have for young women? Well, it's hard to be an entrepreneur, so you have to have thick skin, and you cannot give up. You know, and I, I tell this story is the first collection that I brought to New York, I had someone in sales, and I was like so excited. I did all my job. My collection was ready. We were ready to go none of our appointments showed up. It was actually devastating. I could have like packed everything up then and just like walked away from it. And you know, I got my first order and I, you, you just have to stick with it and you have to pivot. I think that the, 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 the lesson I've learned is don't do something that doesn't feel right in your heart too. And you know, it's, it sometimes works and it sometimes doesn't. But give it your best shot Try your hardest. Don't give up. You know, it's like my golf swing. You gotta swing that club a million times. I'm not good yet, but I'm still swinging that club. So I, I believe that endurance and perseverance are really important for an entrepreneur. Okay, one more question over here. Hi, Kim. Uh, my name is Amel. I'm a senior financial analyst and I'm a fashion uh, designer. So I'm very familiar with the Parisian fashion scene and I attend many shows there. Uh, I noticed that some of the pieces in your fall winter collection are inspired by Chanel, um, jackets in particular. So I'm wondering why so and if she's your favorite designer. 
Well, I have a few favorites, and I'm very studied in designer fashion. I've collected vintage forever, so I'm really interested in the make and the timelessness of it. I do think that Chanel, even though it went through Coco and Carl, is really is stood the test of time. They've built a beautiful, beautiful brand that is impeccably made. I love Cristobal Balenciaga. I love Dior. I loved Ralph Simmons at Dior. So I think it's just really about taking the things that you love and sort of learning the best takeaway from that as a fashion designer and seeing what sort of transcends time. I'm interested, like I want you to wear my dress not once. I, I, I don't want you to wear it once to an event and think it's like a hoopla. I want you to treasure that piece. I want you to wear it, you know, in different ways. I want you to pull it out. I want you to give it to your daughter. So I'm really about fashion that transcends time. If Hitchcock was here, he would want Pink Tartan in his yeah, films. I'd love to be his. <laughs> I'd love to be his stylist there. Kim, thank you so so much for being thank here you. today. Thank you. And follow for along at Pink Tartan to see the all the new and exciting things that are happening with you. Um, thanks so much for coming out today. I'm Donna Bishop, and this is Fashion Talks. Have a great day. <laughs>